mikvah is like from mikaveh, right? Like that I have hope. Tikvah is etymologically related to mikvah. The mikvah itself, you know, it's reminiscent of this womb, this rebirthing, that like our relationship can restart. It can rebirth. It can have a new beginning, a new opportunity. We can transform. We can start this over, right? That we constantly have this opportunity to shift things and change them. We're not static and we're not stuck. We have a constant ability to reinvent ourselves and come from a healthy place of love. there. I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is co-sponsored by My Gift of Mikvah, which is the education division of Mikvah USA. My Gift of Mikvah educates Jewish women across North America about the special opportunities that we have, specifically the practices and benefits of mikvah. Their team of speakers guide and support women towards more fulfilled and meaningful lives and marriages. They also have a mikvah mentor program with available mentors to teach women one-on-one about the beauty of mikvah. You can find useful insight and videos on their website, mygiftofmikvah.org. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. If you are listening to this and would like to sponsor an episode of Human and Holy in honor of a birthday, yard site, someone you love, to share about a cause that you care about, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or reach out to us at info at humanandholy.com. Human and Holy is a nonprofit. All donations are tax deductible and go directly towards producing the episodes each week and keeping us coming back into your podcast feed every Sunday morning. Thank you to our sponsors, past and present, for making each episode happen. Today, we have Sarah Esther Crisp speaking with us about healthy communication in our relationships, in marriage, friendship, and family. A lot of the teachings that Sarah Esther will share today are based on Rabbi Ginsburg's book, The Mystery of Marriage. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. Sarah Esther travels internationally as a motivational speaker presenting on interpersonal relationships and the Kabbalistic approach to self-development. She is a career, dating, and life coach who works with adults and teens. Sarah Esther was the creator and editor of the Jewishwoman.org of Chabad.org and has worked as a consultant for shows relating to Judaism on the Oprah Winfrey Network, Harpo Productions, Refinery29, and CNN. A segment she helped produce for Oprah's Belief series was presented at the UN. She is currently working on three books, one on marriage, one on the power of Jewish women, and one on parenting. She lives with her family in Danby, Vermont, where they run Jewish educational retreats and programming. Today, in conversation with Sarah Esther, I ask, how can we approach the people we care most about with clear communication. What can the mitzvah of mikvah 
teach us about the deepest level of communication in our romantic relationships. And in general, when it comes to all of our relationships, how can we work from the inside out so that we can show up with our words in the most wholesome, connected way possible? My name is Sarah Esther Crisp, and I am speaking to you from the very rural town of Danby, Vermont, in southern Vermont. We live basically in an area that is mainly cows, fewer people, and really out in just complete nature, very beautiful. We've been here for about just over eight years. And my passion, I do a lot of speaking. I travel and speak a lot and writing related to interpersonal relationships, parenting, healthy marriages, relationships in general, communication, and also kind of like self-development and growth in terms of dealing with our challenges and our stress and our passions and everything related to that. So I work both with people individually in the capacity of coaching and then kind of on larger scales in terms of speaking. And I'm a writer. So I years ago had created thejewishwoman.org, which is the women's website of Chabad.org. And then I was its editor for the 10 years after its creation. And now I'm working on a few different books one actually on marriage, which is almost, almost finished. So I'm really excited about that. And then I have one on parenting, which I have to get back to. That is titled, I Used to Be the Perfect Mother, Then I Had Kids. Mm. So that will, as my children grow and are now adults, that has taken on so many different kind of lives of its own that one of these days, maybe when I'm a grandparent, I'll eventually. (laughs) Then you could map out the full extent of your motherhood journey. Right. That's amazing. I became the perfect parent as a grandparent. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Now that I'm done, (laughs) I have achieved perfection. I'm so excited to read your work, to read your book that's going to be coming out. And the Jewishwoman.org is such a huge contribution to the world. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about healthy communication, the lessons in Torah that can help us have healthy communication in all of our relationships, marriage, friendships, children. I mean, communication exists in every type of relationship that we have. So can you give us an introduction to your topic? Tell us a little bit, like get our feet wet. Sure. So overarchingly, I would say that communication is at the basis of how we attain healthy relationships, how we feel that we're really expressing ourselves, that we're really heard, you know, no pun intended, but that the other person is truly understanding where we're at, what we need, Mm -hmm. you know, what we're struggling with, and that that is generally speaking, if there is an issue, one of the areas that is always going to need some tweaking and working to fix and to better. Okay. So then I guess I would ask you before we get into where in Torah we learn about, like we learn lessons about healthy communication is how would you define healthy communication? So first of all, it's very interesting because just to bring in a little 
Torah concept with this, according to Judaism, what defines us as human beings is our ability to speak. Very often people think that what differentiates us from the animal kingdom is our intellect, but it's actually not our knowledge and our minds and our ability to think, but rather our ability to convey our innermost thoughts and feelings. There's always a level of communication with animals as well, which living out here you most definitely see, but they're not relaying their thoughts and feelings about things. You know, it's a much more primal, basic type of communication. A shriek is also a way of communicating, but It's limited in terms of what it's conveying. And our ability to express ourselves, to take all these different amorphous thoughts, all these different intense emotions, and share them with another person and connect to that other person through this idea, that's at the heart of what communication is. Because the only way you can really know what's going on inside of me is if I tell you right? You can guess, you can intuit, you can read body language and everything else. But when communication is honest and it's real and it's authentic, that is when bonds are formed. That is kind of like the basis of establishing a relationship. So in order to have that level of communication, you have to be in touch with where you yourself are holding, right? Your own thoughts and feelings. Right. Well, self-talk is huge. Right. And that is actually a really important aspect of it because very often there is this disconnect. I say things in my head and I say something to myself. And this can be either how we communicate with ourselves and understand ourselves, or even the disconnect between what we think and what we say, which when there is that rift, if I'm thinking a whole bunch of things and then I have to totally shift them to say something different. And that's already assuming that I have the insight to know that I probably shouldn't be saying what I'm thinking, right? It's still dishonest. Mm. It means that uh, there's this duality that shouldn't be there. There's a beautiful allusion to this, that the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph, is an acronym for two different phrases. And one is echad lev peh, echad lev peh, that there should be a unity, a oneness between the heart and the mouth. And the other is emet lamed picha, teach your mouth to speak the truth. You know, and so it goes back to that. If you can't say what you're thinking, you should probably change what you're thinking. Like mm. think in a way that you can say it, that you can express it, that you can be honest. Mm. And another idea with that is if you wouldn't say out loud to anyone else what you think and say to yourself, Mm. you shouldn't be thinking and saying it to yourself, Mm. right? And that's a very common thing, right? The self-critics that we all are, the horrible things we can tell ourselves that we would never say to anyone else. And we would never say it because we would know how damaging it would be, how cruel it would be, how destructive it would be. And yet we feel like we can say that to ourselves. Yeah. You know, as as if it's not causing all that same damage, you know? I love how holistic that is because instead of trying to twist your communication so that it's palatable or communicating in a kind way, it's 
a more internal job of assessing what your thought patterns are so that your communication can be clear and honest. So it's not really about managing your words. It's more about getting familiar with and managing your thoughts. Right. And actually, the word pe for mouth is numerically equivalent in like numerology known as gematria to 85, which equals the words ahavan chesed, love mm-hmm. and kindness. So the mouth is this conduit for loving kindness. So if we're not loving and kind to ourselves, if we're not self-communicating, if our inner monologue isn't loving and kind, then we're actually lying when we speak. It's like when we have to turn it all around or say things that contradict them, that's actually how we usually get in trouble. (laughs) Because sooner or later, we say something and we don't have enough time to fix it, Mm -hmm. right? So like what we're thinking comes out, (laughs) you know, without a filter, right? That's why we say to people like, where's your filter? Like we expect people to shift it around and there should be a filter, but it should be internal, right? Like that if we're having these negative thoughts, like, okay, I don't want to say this. I shouldn't say this. Not how do I lie and say something positive, but how do I think something positive so that it can reflect what I'm thinking when I say it? And this is like a separate thing. And I know I can't really show it as easily, but you'll see beautifully enough if you look at the letter pay, because in Hebrew, every letter is a word, right? So the letter pay is also the word for peh, which is mouth. But there's this beautiful idea that we live now in such a limited kind of world in this exile where what we see is like this small little representation of the true reality that it's concealed from us, right? So one of the explanations that's given is that when we read the Torah, we see the black letters on the white parchment. And we think that that's the message. In the future, the real message is the white that we can't see. It looks like there's nothing there, but it's all the space that we cannot currently access. But we have little hints of this. So when you look at the letter pay, inside the letter pay is the letter bait, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And it's numerically equivalent to two, which by the way is required for communication, right? You need somebody else to speak with. Our Torah begins with the letter bait, which is the reminder that we need others. We weren't created to get through life alone, that it's not weak to rely on another. It's human. So we have all these beautiful illusions, but bait is also the idea of bina, of understanding, which is before you open your mouth, (laughs) before it comes out, let it go through a process of understanding. Make sure it is understandable that what you want to say is what the other is going to understand, right? The title for the communication class I give is, did you hear what I meant to say? Mm. Right? Like we all think we're saying something and that we're clear and yet the tone and the approach and what's heard and what was understood and what was actually intended and meant, that's where everything kind of gets lost. Mm -hmm. Right? So I might've had the best intentions, but if what you heard came to you differently, that's where the issue is going to come about. Okay. So 
just to like map out where we are. Essentially, the beginning of positive, healthy, clear, honest communication with another person is that I have that type of communication with myself and is also that I'm very aware of my thought process, my thought process about the other person. So I'm not accidentally slipping and saying things that I don't want to be saying because I'm already seeing the relationship, seeing the other person. Like I do have a filter, but that filter is internal. When I have those negative or destructive thoughts I would want to say, I'm managing them internally instead of trying to just control how I express them to the other person. Yeah, and I would say that the idea of loving kindness is that everything we say should be motivated by loving kindness. It doesn't mean that everything we say feels loving and kind. There's always a place for discussing really tough things, for constructive criticism. You know, when we go through these different levels, which we obviously won't have a chance to kind of address all of them, but there's always going to be difficulty that needs to be expressed and worked through. But what's my motivation? Mm -hmm. Am I saying it to hurt you or am I saying it because I care about you and I care about our relationship and I want it to come from a place of loving kindness? That's what's motivating this. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy to hear and it's not going to be easy to say, but that's where it's coming from as opposed to I'm really angry, I'm really resentful, I'm really revengeful, you know, and I can use my words to really cut and destroy, but I'm not going to. And if I could just throw out one other kind of foundational yeah. idea with this, which is that the whole way of understanding that we are speakers right? So the Torah explanation is that what makes a human being a human being is our ability to speak. So if the fact that we speak is what defines us as humans, how we speak defines the kind of human beings that we are. And there's a beautiful explanation of this, actually. The, the book I'm writing on marriage is a rewrite of a book called The Mystery of Marriage by Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsburg. And he has an entire explanation that is going to be going in the new book and also in the original book all about this power of communication. But it sources from this concept that we are called a nefesh chaya, a living soul. And without going into all of the details of what that is, it's explained in the commentaries as a ruach mamale, a speaking spirit, that what makes us human and what makes us holy and godly is our ability to speak. And yet the same word for the soul, which is also, it's a level of the soul and means living, a chaya also is an animal, a beast. So it's that reminder, if you use your speech properly, if you use it to connect to another person, to be a conduit for loving kindness, you merit the definition of what it means to be a holy human, right? So just like holy is in the name of your podcast, that's a level we attain when we are coming from the right place, both in how we speak to ourselves and how we speak to others. If we misuse our speech, if we use it to be abusive and cruel and, you know, whoever came up with sticks and stones, you know, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is lying. Yeah, no. You know, speech <laughs> kills. Speech literally kills. You know, it can be the most destructive force. So then we're a beast. We're a chaya. We lose our humanity if we misuse our speech. Oh, nice. I love that, the way that it can be used to bring you in any direction. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's a choice. Every time we open our mouth, we choose. And that's the thing with speech. We have a filter before. You might think the wrong thing, but you have an opportunity not to say the wrong thing. So if you're thinking the wrong thing, stop, work on it, evaluate it, reevaluate it, change it, then open your mouth and talk, right? It's too late once you say it. Once you say it, you create it. Okay. So tell us how this expresses itself practically in a relationship. Like these elements of communication, how is someone then taking what you're sharing about being mindful to be motivated by love and kindness when opening up our mouths, being mindful of that internal dialogue. Can you share a practical example of these Jewish teachings on communication being used in a relationship dynamic? Yeah. So I think it's very natural when there's an issue, when we're feeling hurt or misunderstood that we want to isolate. You know, we don't want to necessarily talk about it or we want to scream about it or we sometimes can be in two different modes, either the silent treatment, right, or raging and just fighting. And healthy communication, being able to kind of stop ourselves and be calm enough to recognize that unless we can express this, the other person isn't going to really know what to do with it, you know? And I think that one of the things that comes up a lot in my coaching is that we often have this assumption that somebody should know what it is we're thinking and feeling. We Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to ask. We shouldn't have to say it. We shouldn't have to put it into words. If you love me, you should know. And it's just the opposite. If I love you, I want to know Speak to me, explain it, tell me what you're thinking. So, you know, a practical example would be first of all, waiting until you're ready to really speak and ensuring that you're coming from a place where you feel calm and collected and that's coming from love and kindness. If you're not, Take that time. Even if your partner is like, no, I want to discuss it now. I want to know now. We have to work through it now. No, Mm. because you're not ready. You know, and being able to say, I'm going to regret what comes out of my mouth if I have to speak right now. I'm not ready to share. I'm not ready to speak. I need some time to kind of process on my own. So recognizing that and respecting that and giving yourself that time Mm -hmm. and likewise ensuring that the other person is ready to listen. You know, we think that the speakers, this is active role. And very often people mistakenly think that a listener is a very passive role, but a listener is an extremely active role. And if you are not speaking to somebody who is ready to listen and to hear what you have to say, you're A, start talking to the wall because that's what you're talking to anyway, but that's a great recipe for a fight. So it's respecting both. If somebody says, I do not want to hear what you have to say right now, don't talk. They're telling you it is not going to go well. You know, they are not receptive. So first ensuring that. And then beautifully enough, we see that, you know, communication is supposed to begin by expressing love. And that benefits the speaker and the listener. That you're motivated by love. That's why you're having this conversation. And if you're not, you're not ready to speak. 
and stating words of love. And if you can't, that's already your indication you're not ready to speak, right? Whoever you are struggling the hardest to say I love you to is most likely the person who needs to hear it the most. If you don't want to say it, there's a reason. Something's holding you back, right? And that's something to work through. Once it's stated, that's because the listener needs to hear it, right? That puts the other person at ease. It reminds them that this is coming from love. We very often think, I love this person, so I don't want to bring up something difficult. I don't want to talk about something uncomfortable. I don't want to hurt this person with what I have to say. If you truly love someone, whatever you have to say, who else should they hear it from than someone that loves them? Mm. Right? Like the most loving thing you can do is say the difficult stuff, bring up the uncomfortable topic, talk about something that needs to be worked on and changed and rectified and is unhealthy because you love that person, right? That's loving. Like, I don't want to say it because ultimately it makes me uncomfortable. Well, that's selfish, right? Truly loving a person is I'm going to do and say what you need to hear in the most loving and kind way I can. And it's coming from love, but I'm communicating it because I love you. And this is a problem that needs to be addressed. Okay. So you mentioned in this practical application that if the other person is not ready to receive what someone is going to share, that is going to turn into a fight. And then now you're talking about sharing something difficult with someone that you love because you love them, even though it's difficult for you to share and it might lead to an uncomfortable conversation. So how do you differentiate between an uncomfortable or difficult conversation and an argument or a fight? So, I mean, it's a great, great question. And a lot of it has to do with how prepared we are and also how prepared the other person is. Fights usually happen because... We're not thinking through what we're saying. We're saying something in defense. We're not really listening. We're not really hearing the person, right? So much of communication is you're talking. And while you're talking, I'm coming up with my comeback. I'm not really listening. I'm, you know, kind of preparing, putting the ammunition in the can and ready to shoot it off. And I'm busy and distracted with what I'm going to say in my defense to even hear what you're actually saying. So we kind of get so caught up in reacting that we're not actually receiving. And healthy communication is also where a person can say, and it's usually not on the spot, right? It's can we find a time something's been bothering me? I really think we need to sit down and talk about something important. When is a good time for you? Like, when are you in a place, literally, physically in a place where you can speak, in a headspace where you can speak, calm, you know, when somebody is running out, right? Not the time to talk. That's why we, mm-hmm. we all know that classic time for arguments is like right before Shabbos comes in, right before a holiday comes in. Like when we're stressed out, we're short on time, we're short with the other person, and that's when our communication is not mindful, you know, so it's stopping and having that time the same way you plan a date, plan a conversation, 
right? It might seem a little unnatural, but for difficult conversations, they need planning. They need to be arranged. And both people need to be ready and able and willing to participate in that conversation. Part of the way we stop an argument from happening is when we bring up something, you know, that we thought was maybe innocent or maybe had an edge and we're watching the reaction and we see we're getting upset and it's like escalating and escalating, stopping. Like, you know what? This isn't good. This is not going in the direction I wanted. We're both going to say things we regret if we keep going. Like, pause. Let's just give a little break. We'll come back to this when we're not stressed out, right? Sometimes you start a conversation, you see like, wow, bad timing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot you had a deadline at work. This was not the time to bring that up. I apologize. Let me retreat. And we will address this at a better time. You know, so it's kind of knowing when to talk and it's also knowing when not to talk. Right. So a lot of what you're sharing is about the timing and being like post internal processing, which I love that you shared that at the beginning, that instead of being so consumed on managing or communication, let's be so consumed on processing our own emotions in a healthy way so that we're actually coming from that place of love because we've already come to that place within ourselves. But I can't help but think about someone who's listening, who's in a relationship with a parent, with a spouse, with a friend, where the internal processing that needs to happen for them to come to that place of love and positive communication and a healthy way of seeing the other person and themselves, et cetera, in the context of this relationship is so intense that they'd have to wait maybe a lifetime to have the conversation. And if someone's in a relationship that just has so much deep stuff, like when is the right time to, you know, like everything has to be resolved internally so that the conversation will go smoothly and respectfully. Like that works in a healthy dynamic. Yes. Does that work in an unhealthy dynamic? And lots of people are in unhealthy dynamics, not just in marriages, but with parents, siblings, friends, et cetera. Right. So in truth, Not much works in unhealthy dynamics. You know, that's what an unhealthy dynamic is. And that's why you would want to treat what is unhealthy. So one of the key ways of doing that is very often, let's say you can have a partner who doesn't want to speak, refuses to speak, you know, reacts and responds with silent treatment. Mm -hmm. ongoing, that's the punishment, or turns everything around, Mm -hmm. right? Gaslighting, which is very common in unhealthy dynamics or abusive dynamics. Part of what speech is, if I don't feel safe to speak, if I don't feel I can share what I'm thinking and feeling, if I'm always scared that I'm going to say the wrong thing or set you off or upset you, things are not okay. At that point, right? Things are not okay physically. What do you do? You go to a doctor, right? You figure out what's going on. My temperature is supposed to be this. It's off this charts. Something's wrong, right? What do I need? How do I get healthy again? The benefit at that point is not always can the two people speak directly, getting somebody else involved. You know, that can be a therapist, that can be a coach, that can be a mentor. Get somebody who is objectively as much as possible involved, who can help bridge that gap of communication. Now, that's very different than certain dynamics, let's say, if it's a mother-daughter issue and that that's just toxic and unhealthy. And in truth, that might not ever get to a great level of healthy communication because you might be dealing with somebody really unhealthy 
who isn't there. And sometimes it's also managing expectations. This is a relationship that is limited. I'm going to keep conversations nice and civil and short and sweet. And we're never going to really have those deep conversations because this person isn't capable of that. That's different than how you want to understand your marriage, right? What you settle for in certain relationships by need. If this is a family member, this person isn't going anywhere. This is, you know, a work relationship and I know how to handle what needs to be said and I limit conversations because, you know, to just as basic communication needs to be, that's different than settling in our marriage where the crux of the relationship is going to be our communication, you know, and how we are relating to each other. Because if either partner is scared to share or to talk or to express, or one of the partners refuses to listen or refuses to communicate, there's a cap on where that relationship can go to. And how close it can be and how intimate it can be, you know, and they're completely directly related. Actually, there is a Torah concept that we have verbal speech and we have physical speech and that our intimacy is when our bodies talk and our verbal communication is when we talk to each other and that both have to be healthy Mm -hmm. to happen in a healthy way, you know, so... I would say that is the sign that it's time to get help for that marriage. Okay. And if it were maybe a little less dramatized than that, that like years of pent up processing, is there ever a time to speak to each other before really coming from a very settled position? So I just want to clarify, it's not that a person needs to be completely rectified, you know, to be able to talk like, I've worked through all my issues. I am just, you know, got it all down, worked through it all healthy, you know, in all aspects of my life. We're talking kind of specific to what the issue is at hand, right? So there are a few key, almost like hacks with that. One of them, and this is a beautiful concept from the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, which is that whatever bothers us in another person is usually because we're looking in the mirror. It doesn't mean it's not legitimate. It means there's a reason it's triggering us. There's a reason it's bothering us and it might not bother someone else. And we see this all the time. You can be in a large group setting, right? And you walk away from it. You can be with a group of friends and one person, you know, will be like, oh my gosh, I didn't think she would ever shut up. And it was like, who? Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? That woman, she talked nonstop. Who? Didn't even notice. Wasn't my trigger. Right. It was your trigger. You noticed it bothered you. It enraged you. You know, somebody else, meanwhile, was horrified at like that completely insensitive joke the guy made. What joke? (laughs) I didn't hear it. It wasn't my trigger. You know, they didn't joke about something I'm sensitive to. So I wasn't paying attention. They joked about something you're sensitive to. Oh, you noticed that joke. Right. So why am I so upset and triggered by this? What's maybe my insecurity or my issue? It doesn't mean it's not legitimate and it's not wrong and it wasn't insensitive and it's not bothering you. But that's one. The second part is stating it in terms of how we feel. It doesn't mean you did all the work before the conversation. It means you're being honest with yourself. I'm hurt, right? 
I'm upset. It doesn't mean I worked out being hurt and upset. I can't work that out, you know? But the difference is instead of me then attacking it with you, you hurt me, mm-hmm. you this, you that, it's I feel really hurt by the conversation we just had, or I feel really hurt by how you interacted with me at dinner in front of your friends, or I feel really embarrassed by that joke you made that I thought belittled something important to me. My feelings are indisputable. If I accuse you of having done something, that's completely up for negotiation and usually Mm -hmm. up for fighting about. But if I tell you how I feel, and I'm not blaming you, I'm sharing with you, I'm telling you what I'm upset about and how I feel, then together we can kind of look at what it was. Maybe I am being overly sensitive. Maybe I did really read into that. But if you love me, you're going to be that much more careful to not joke about those things, right? You know, it's kind of like those heads up, like be aware before you make a joke. I mean, you see it with stand-up comedians, right? Like they'll start making fun of somebody who isn't looking at them and then they discover the person's blind. It's like, oh gosh, right? Maybe I should have like, you know, been a little more sensitive that maybe there's something else going on here I did not pay attention to. So it's not that everything needs to be rectified, but it's that you're trying to communicate your feelings, A, again, loving and kind, and B, with talking about how you're feeling as opposed to just accusing the other and assuming you're on the same side, right? Like the goal here is for me to be happy and you to be happy. We're on the same side here. Like we have the same goal. So how together can we figure out a way to work through these feelings I'm having? Nice. I like the way you said that. It's not necessarily about rectifying the whole situation internally, but just about fully owning your peace and fully owning your emotions. Right. And I think you see this very often, for example, we do this intuitively or naturally with children, right? Your kid is having a complete and total meltdown because they didn't get the red sippy cup. Now, chances are, or hopefully you're not buying into that, right? Like, oh my gosh, if I had only given them the red sippy cup, everything would have gone smoothly. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's right. He didn't nap today. Oh my gosh, it's 2 p.m. He never ate lunch. You immediately look to something else that's going on. Is he hungry? Dirty diaper? Didn't get enough sleep? In a new environment? Time change? You come up with something else. So it's kind of doing that to ourselves. I'm so angry. Am I angry or am I sad? Am I hurt? Like, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. And it's just trying to be honest so that we can be as transparent as possible when we speak. Because otherwise, it's like if I have absolutely no clarity and now I'm Mm -hmm. conveying lack of clarity, I'm leaving somebody else kind of confused. Yeah. So again, we're not talking taking years. We're talking taking moments to be self-reflective before we speak. So let's talk a little bit about mikvah. What can we learn about healthy communication in a relationship from the mitzvah of mikvah? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a beautiful bridge, obviously, when it comes to like really the brilliance in 
Judaism and Jewish law in terms of structuring how our relationships are. Because you said something before, which was really powerful about timing, right? That's not always what you say, it's when you say it. And timing is huge in Judaism. The when is often as important as not more important than the what. So it's a mitzvah to eat challah on Shabbos. Come Pesach, Passover, and now your challah is a big problem. But challah is holy, right? (laughs) Why can't I eat it on Passover? It's holy. You just told me it was holy. In its time, it's holy. Not in its wrong time, right? Matzah is for Passover. That's great. Come Yom Kippur. Matzah and challah are both a problem, but they're both holy, right? So the timing is huge. And, you know, sometimes we almost have forced timing that doesn't coincide with what we're thinking or, you know, when it's convenient for us, the same way the holidays come, whether or not it's convenient for us, right? And they're there. It's not like you have to keep a Shabbos at some point in this week, find 25 hours that work for Mm -hmm. you. No, it happens when it happens. And we have to adapt even if it's not kind of natural in that moment. So the concept with mikvah, and just in case there's anybody who's not familiar with this, is that within a Jewish marriage, it's really the laws of family living in life where a couple has essentially half of the month where they are forbidden from physical and sexual intimacy. And this is that, you know, for the time period that a woman is menstruating and a one-week period following that, so a minimum of five days and then an additional seven, so we're talking a minimum, you know, of 12 days, that during that time period, the couple has no physical contact. Now, that is as, so to speak, unnatural in a certain sense as possible. And yet it automatically requires, forces, you could even say, the couple into needing to work on their verbal communication because they cannot rely on their physical communication. And physical communication, as holy and as incredible as it is, has to be the highest level of communication. Right? It has to come after what needs to be said has been worked out. It can never replace it. So, you know, the world tells us when a couple's having a fight, you should kiss and make up. Torah says, no, never. You make up and then you can kiss, maybe, <laughs> if, <laughs> depending on which week it is, you know, but that the physical communication always has to come following a rectification of the issue right? You don't have intimacy when you're angry. It's actually forbidden. There are times that even if for all other intents and purposes, a couple can be intimate, they're not allowed to be because it's not being motivated from a healthy state of mind, right? And there are numerous ideas with this, but the partners can't be drunk. Nobody can be sleeping. It can't come from anger, It can't come, you know, out of just lust. Basically, it's saying that intimacy, sexual intimacy, needs to be the highest level of communication where both partners are willingly active. 
actively wanting this, desiring this, choosing to engage in this, meaning they're in the right state of mind and connecting in this way. The fact that half the month this isn't happening gives a couple an incredible opportunity to develop and enhance and work through these different issues or any issue that comes up in verbal communication so that when that intimacy can come back into the relationship, it is coming from a place where both partners are feeling happier, healthier, understood that they've discussed this, that they've worked through this. And because like the menstrual cycle, it's a cycle, each time is like a new opportunity for rectification. Mikvah already is the concept of transformation, right? Every time mikvah is used, it's transforming one state to another. So as like the Jewish people, we went to mikvah as an entire nation prior to receiving the Torah. We have the idea that a single woman, her first mikvah, is prior to getting married, so changing from single to married status, that a woman following her cycle in these days goes in from a place of separation from her husband, and now the couple is reuniting physically. And when we can't outsource what needs to be worked through in communication by a kiss, by a hug, by a cuddle, right? Those are all great things, but they don't replace, I'm sorry, that was really wrong of me. I shouldn't have said that. You're right. I hear you, right? All those other things we want to hear, not only doesn't it replace that, but it sometimes takes away that opportunity to work through it. Very often we hear about all the passion that comes from intimacy that takes place from a fight. You know, that might have a lot of passion going into it. But after it's hard to be like, you know, can we just kind of go back to, you know, that really bothered me what you said. It's like lost opportunity. It's kind of like, well, didn't that just make up for it? Don't you feel good now? Aren't we past that? Do we really need to address that again? Just get over it. And we don't just get over it. We get over things when we've worked through them. You know, it's the through gets us over. So in this concept with mikvah is this ability to transform, to transform our relationship, to also know you brought up, you know, what about issues and baggage and when things aren't good. It's also that reminder, there's hope. Mikvah is like from mikvah, right? Like that I have hope. Tikvah is etymologically related to mikvah. The mikvah itself, you know, it's reminiscent of this womb, this rebirthing, that like our relationship can restart, it can rebirth, it can have a new beginning, a new opportunity, we can transform, we can start this over, right? That we constantly have this opportunity to shift things and change them. We're not static and we're not stuck. We have a constant ability to reinvent ourselves mm-hmm. and come from a healthy place of love. And mikvah's constantly kind of showing us that, even this idea of like immersing into water, right? Like this idea of purifying water that is what sustains us, right? Our, the majority of our body is water. The majority of the world is water. The womb is water, what sustains life. You know, so it's both rebirth and transformation and 
also for the woman, this idea again, and it doesn't only, it applies obviously to man and woman symbolically to the woman physically, but that idea of like, you know, mothering yourself, like re-entering the womb, focusing on the self, being kind to the self, giving ourself that space and that time so that we can reunite and come back together in a really healthy, positive, loving way. And by the way, speech is also beautifully connected. We see that with mikvah as well, that, you know, when a woman immerses the attendant who's ensuring that like everything be done properly, it says that when she verbalizes and says the word kosher, that like, you know, the heavens answer kosher. That's like, again, it's like a speech connection Mm -hmm. that we're going to speak and create this new reality in this healthy and holy way. And that we also see we have space, right? Like mikvah is telling us there's times you need space. You need to give yourself a little time to kind of think and work through and have your opportunity so that you can come back together in a healthier way. So it's like, even like that argument, you're upset, you're hurt. It's like the microcosm symbolically is separate, give yourself space until you feel it's a healthy time, (laughs) come back together now in your speech. I'm not talking in terms of the practicalities of mikvah, but the message. And now it's the right and healthy time to reunite where your verbal speech has been rectified so that now you can focus and really reunite, you know, in terms of the intimacy. And it also has to be planned for the same way we plan, you know, communication. Mikvah does not come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We count towards it. We prepare for it. We anticipate it. We recognize it's important and we make it a priority. So it's also that idea that very often with especially families, young children, work, all the different distractions you know, you can see in the list of priorities, very often your spouse comes last. You come last and your spouse comes last, right? Mm -hmm. We put ourselves at the bottom of the totem pole and Taurus telling us, no, 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 no. Your marriage is the top. That is the number one priority. Everything stems from there. When your marriage is healthy, you parent from a healthier place. You self-care from a healthier place. That has to be a priority. Yeah. I also loved how you said that physical intimacy is the highest form of communication. And so in order for it to be the highest form of communication, it has to be the last form of communication. And I'd love to ask the question about people who are dating, who are not in a committed relationship. What does this rhythm look like for them? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, interestingly enough, the symbol for this highest level of communication and this bridge is the kiss right? Because the kiss is also with the mouth, the same conduit for communication, but it's when we're speaking and listening simultaneously. And in order to kiss, we also have to be face-to-face and it's human. Animals don't kiss and they don't actually procreate face-to-face. There's two exceptions, actually, both because it says that God spoke to them because they merited divine communication. So they merit to procreate face-to-face, which is the snake. And the whale with Jonah. So, you know, kind of side note, but this ability to have face-to-face communication and then to kiss is completely human where, you know, now the communication, because you can't speak if you're kissing. 
And in order to kiss, you have to be face-to-face. Sex is something that animals do, all creatures, in order to basically procreation is a key to survival, right? We all need to eat. We all need to work to survive. And by work, we need to survive one way or another. And we all procreate. Those are kind of like essential animalistic needs. Judaism teaches us we have the ability to elevate that and to transform that. So with eating, we choose what we eat. We have the ability to say a blessing before and after. We don't need to be animalistic. You don't need to eat like an animal. You can eat in a refined way. We all need to work, but Shabbos is there to teach us, stop, stop. There's something bigger than you, right? You're not the ultimate creator. Go against your nature which is the need to survive and to work, and pause, rest. And with intimacy, the same thing. Mikvah is telling us if within a marriage where intimacy is obviously not just allowed, but celebrated and the goal, you know, like a healthy expression of love, and still there's a time and a place where it's like, not always, stop, separate, don't always have this available because you'll respect it less and you'll value it less and it will become too commonplace. Like all the advantages to working towards something and appreciating something and missing and anticipating. So when it comes to a couple who's dating, you know, in an ideal sense, Torah is telling us, save intimacy for your marriage. Let physical touch take place once you've made that decision with your head and with your heart, but without all of the intensity of once our bodies kick in. Because once our bodies start talking, it's really hard to get the head working, right? So my advice with anyone would be to really ensure, make sure you're not replacing what needs to be spoken about with any kind of physical communication, because not only is it distracting you, it's actually diverting you from talking about what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. So just remembering, knowing that once you introduce intimacy, it is going to absolutely cloud how you think and feel about the other person, which is great if you've chosen this relationship from the healthiest of places. And you know there's commitment, and you know you're on the same page, and you know you have the same goals, and you've worked through all that stuff. But if it's prior to all of that, it's going to get really messy to start differentiating and to start clarifying. When you leave out the physicality while you're ensuring things are healthy, then it's not dangerous anymore to bring in something that powerful and that potent. Right? Because anything powerful and potent can, you know, raise the couple that much higher or absolutely destroy them. Mm. I think because the body is so holy, because that intimacy is so powerful and so connective, because it's the highest form of communication, that's why it comes after head and heart. Like it's not because it's a negative thing to be drawn together by the body's force, but you want the head and heart in place in order to ensure that that physical connection is coming from the deepest place. And the same thing is true in a marriage, like you said, with that rhythm of mikvah, that being best friends is not just about communicating intellectually, but about bonding with the heart so that 
that fusion together afterwards is something that's so deep and not something that's superficial. Absolutely. And that's why you see it even on the human body. There is a reason our head is above our heart, is above our sexual organs, right? And the punishment of the snake, who, by the way, through miscommunication or twisting communication, created the primordial sin, which is explained as the fact that Adam and Eve had premature sexual relations, right? So we have that whole kind of dynamic. They didn't wait for the proper time. They didn't wait for Shabbos. And that came about by the snake kind of twisting words and getting Adam to miscommunicate to Eve by the commandment being, you can't touch the tree. Adam is told that you cannot eat from the tree of life, you know, the tree of good and evil. And he miscommunicates to Eve and he tells her, you can't touch the tree because he thinks, you know, if she can't touch it, she for sure won't eat from it. However, the snake uses this miscommunication as an opportunity to completely twist things around. And he says, touch the tree, you'll see you won't die. And sure enough, she can touch it. So if you can touch it, for sure you can eat from it. Mm. And uses the miscommunication as a loophole to kind of turn everything around. And it says that the the true problem that happened was premature relations. So what is the punishment of the snake is that it lies on its side. It used to be upright, but its punishment is that its head, its heart, and its sexual organs are all on one plane. There's no differentiation. That that is a sin in and of itself. That that is such an unhealthy state to be when you can't differentiate that I'm not ruled by my emotions, I'm able to think rationally. I'm able to keep my emotions in check. And when my head and my heart are healthy and in parallel, now when I bring in the intensity and power with my entire body, which of course is holy and of course should be utilized, but what do I want guiding what, right? It needs to be in that healthy order. And when it is, it is so powerful and beautiful. But if we're miscommunicating from a place where the head and heart are not aligned, then it turns it all around and it becomes truly just animalistic again. Now we've lost it as a form of holy communication. Nice. Okay. I love the way that you put that. I want to end off by asking you a quick question, which I know you're on the spot, but you're an expert, so you got this. Okay. (laughs) If there is one thing you could say about healthy communication that you think would save people a lot of struggle and a lot of pain, what is that one thing? Oh, speechless. (laughs) Um, Oh, the irony. (laughs) Remembering that our words create, right? One allusion to this abracadabra. That I'm going to create something out of nothing. I'm going to pull that rabbit out of the hat. So one of the explanations is it's Aramaic in its origin for Abba Rekadibor. I create when I speak. I bring something into reality. So reminding ourselves and asking ourselves, what do I want to create? If I want to create something healthy and something happy and something growth-oriented and something loving, 
is this going to get me there? Is this aligned with that mission? Or is this going to cause pain and hurt? You know, we've all heard the great words of wisdom. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. But really remembering, I have tremendous power here. I am going to create when I speak, when I speak to myself and when I speak to other people. So what do I want to create and what do I want to be saying to create that? Nice. Wow. Mic drop. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) I love that. I love that as something to end off with is that what do I want to create using that intention every time I open my mouth to speak to my children, to friends, to spouse, to family members, what am I looking to create? I think that's powerful. Yeah. It's a simple way of just reminding ourselves, you know, like, yeah, I've got a great comeback here, a really snarky or great sarcastic line, but does it need to be said? Is it going to get me to that goal? Yeah. Also, whatever I create, I have to live in. If this is a relationship that I live in, then this is, you know, so. Yeah. Is it loving and kind? (laughs) Is it loving and kind? Exactly. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I so appreciate the tremendous work you do. So thank you for having me be a part of it. My absolute honor. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber lechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.